Good. Sorry, I'm here. I'm with you. Good. How's everyone doing? Good. Everyone's well. Good. I'm well too. We just got back from uh, a couple of weeks away, and um, and Joe came back yesterday, but I came back on Thursday with my four daughters on the plane all by myself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I just had to leave three of them on. I was on one side of the aisle with one of them, and the other three I just sort of put over there and just thought, okay, if we have any turbulence or anything, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and pray and uh, see what happens. But fortunately, it's a, a short flight uh, from the UK. You just kind of go up, and then you're there for five minutes, and then it comes back down again, and everything was fine. I only lost one of them, and we've got four, so... <laughs> Three is pretty good to go with, isn't it? Great. If you want to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, if you can find it in your Bible, Ephesians is sort of halfway through-ish the New Testament. Don't worry if not, because it will appear as if by magic right here. There we go. Look at that. So um, we're going to read this together, then I'm going to pray, uh, and then... We will get into God's word together. So here we go. Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 18. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might re reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that because of your life and death, resurrection, for those of us here who are believers in you, we can say we have access to God the Father. We can come into that holy of holies, the most holiest place, and we can have intimate fellowship with you. We've been singing a lot this morning, and the word shame keeps coming up, and yet we know it's all been erased. You've taken our sin, our guilt and shame, and you've removed it from us as far as the east is from the west. And we can now know you, God. We pray as we explore this passage this morning 
that you'd speak to us, that by your spirit you'd help us to know, not just in our heads, but deep within our souls. Help us to know your grace. Help us to know who we are now in you, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk this morning, the, uh, the title of the message is No Dividing Wall, which uh, whenever you say something like that, no dividing wall, it's difficult not to think about a certain country's current immigration policies. And uh, to be honest, it's difficult not to sort of say that thing and not think about uh, uh, this issue as a whole that is kind of one of the biggest issues that the Western world faces at the moment is this question of immigration. You know, it's all around us. And it would be, it, you know, I could talk about that this morning. I'm not going to, because there are better people who can talk about politics. Um, and that's not really the heart of the thing. Because what, what happens is, you know, we, we see things like that, and the way we tend to respond is, uh, you'll notice it all the time, is a sense of outrage. And you can feel upset about things, you can feel cross about things. But in, in our kind of modern world, that's how people respond. We go onto social media and we think, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so upset, so I need to do something, so I'm just going to retweet this message. You know, I'm just going to put a, an angry face here. Ah! And that's how we like to respond. We want to show kind of our outrage, our disgust. Actually, you know, as an aside, the Bible says we should pray for our rulers. Pray for people that God's put in authority over us. That's challenging sometimes, but it's true. And we do live in a world where, uh, where you know, even the Dutch election coming up in, in a couple of weeks is dominated by this question of how, how do people exist together? Should people from different races and cultures and nationalities, from different places, should they exist together? What does that look like? And rather than outrage, or rather than for me to try and explain that this morning, what I want to talk about is actually what really is the real issue, what really is the real problem that needs, that we need help with, and that's, that's you. <laughs> that's, that's us. We're the problem. So easy to get outraged about things far away. All the, t all the time, man, we get cross about silly things. People share articles all the time that we're supposed to be angry about, frustrated about. And newspapers are full of things to be outraged about. And yet so often we fail to have any sort of outrage, any sort of disgust when we look at our own lives, when we look at our own hearts. We're, we're, we're the classic people that we're, we're always, you know, the Bible talks about it, we're always trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye and ignoring the plank out of the sticking out of our own eye. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the real problem. We're going to look at, we're going to look at us. And we're going, to, we're going to look at this question, what is wrong with you? I don't mean that in a, I could say that in a really angry way. What is wrong with you? I don't mean it like that. I mean, what, what is wrong with us? And then we'll look at these other points as we go along. Um, but first of all, this, is gonna, this might be a little bit confusing, but to help us understand this question, what's wrong with us, what the problem is, we need to, to do a little bit of research and we need to study uh, Jewish first century architecture. So you guys all up for that? Yeah? Yeah? Jewish architecture? You guys all know about Jewish architecture, right? Now here we go. Let's get into it. 
Because this, this passage that we've been looking at here, that we read through in Ephesians, what Paul is kind of talking about here when, when he's looking for us to really understand it, when he's talking about no dividing wall, he talks about this wall of hostility. What Paul is most likely referring to, to what he's talking about, would, would have been the temple in Jerusalem which for the Jewish people would have been the center of their, of their worship, where they would have came to have honored God. But the thing about this temple was, uh, it, it, there was some unique factors about it that's really helpful for us to understand, to, for us to be able to, sometimes to read the Bible, you need to go back and try and think, what is the context that Paul, the writers of the Bible, what were they speaking into? Sometimes we need to understand the world that they're in and then be able to kind of extract that and then help us to interpret what he's saying for the world that, that we're in. So this, the temple building would have been uh, constructed on, like a, on a platform. It was elevated up. Uh, and round about the temple was what was called the court of, of priests. Uh, and east of that court of priests was the court of Israel, and then east of that, again, was the court of women. So there's these three different courts around the temple, the court of the priests, uh, that of the, the lay men, and then the lay women of Israel, respectively. And all of these courts, they would have been on the same kind of elevation as the temple itself. They're on the same level. And then from that level, you'd, you could go down about five steps, and you come to another platform, uh, and then you'd go uh, past a wall and there'd be 14 more steps down again. You're coming kind of down this elevation, down this hill. You come to another wall again. And there you find another court, which is the court of Gentiles. So at the top on the first elevation, the first level where the temple is, that's where the Jewish people could go. And then anybody else, the Gentiles, so anybody outside of Israel, they have to go in a separate court and this was a spacious court, went right round the temple. Uh, and from any part of it, the Gentiles, they could look up and see the temple, but that was it. They couldn't go there, they could look up and see it, but they were excluded from it. They weren't allowed to approach it. There was a surrounding wall, which was about a one and a half meter high stone barricade. Uh, and there was, some, there was signs on it, uh, which would have been written probably in Greek and in Latin, uh, and you know, you know the sort of things when you come to a fence and it says something like, trespassers will be prosecuted, you know, signs like that. Well, this would have said something more aligns of trespassers will be executed. <laughs> they were really clear, you couldn't go past this, this wall. Actually, one of the, the, the Greek text of one of these notices, one of these signs was discovered in 1871. It's in a museum in Istanbul, if you're ever there, you can go and, you can go and read it. And it says something to this effect. This would have been on the wall, stopping Gentiles going up. It said, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Which is, that's pretty stern. Actually, my, my daughters, two of my daughters have, have done that. They've put no entry signs on their bedroom doors. Right? You can't come in here with, with pictures of like angry faces, mm, not allowed in. But they haven't gone as far as saying, if you come in, then you will be responsible for your death. They haven't, I mean, they might do yet, because sometimes that's kind of probably what they feel like. And the thing is, that what, what this passage 
helps us to see, uh, when we're looking at this question, what is wrong with you, is that us, we, we, we basically have two, two problems, two problems that we're gonna look at. First of all, all of us, we're, we're strangers. We're strangers to, to God. The same as the, the Gentiles were denied access to God. They weren't allowed up, they had to stay down. The presence of God was up there in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And for the Gentiles, they had to be down here, looking up, hoping, dreaming, but never allowed in. And if they crossed that line, then there was, then death was, was threatened to them. Um, without Jesus, without Christ, we're kind of in, we're kind of in the, in, in the same shoes as those Gentiles. We're, we're separated. We're separated from, from, from God. It says here in this passage that we're, we're separated from Christ, alienated. There's no hope for us. And as, as well as being strangers to God, we're strangers to God's people. The Gentiles were kept apart not just from the temple, but from, from the Jews. They were separated off in different courts. They weren't allowed to be with them. And, and this, this passage, it talks about the, the, the uncircumcised. Maybe that's a weird phrase to you. Well, to call a Gentile an uncircumcised, was, that was an insult. That was a harsh rebuke. You know, we, we read in, in 1 Samuel when, when David talks of Goliath, he calls him the uncircumcised Philistine. It's like he's swearing at him. He's saying, you're, you're, you're not worthy. You're unrighteous. You're disgusting. He looks down on him. So for the Jews to call us, to call the Gentiles uncircumcised is, is kind of an insult. And this prejudice had built up between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews would have looked down on them. But yet, the Jews were supposed to be, the Israelites, the people of God, were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. But what Paul's addressing here, what's happened is, they've no longer become a blessing to the nations. They're looking down in judgment and condemnation on everyone else. And the thing is, is that they felt like that because they, they knew that they were supposed to be God's chosen people. All through the Old Testament, you read time and again where God comes and he makes a covenant, like he makes an agreement with his people. And he's called them apart. You're a chosen people, a special people. God's built up this relationship with them. But they've, they've, what they've done is they've taken that and said, well, this is just for us and everyone else is excluded. No one else is worthy. They look down on them. And the thing is... <laughs> As, as true as this was 2,000 years ago, this can be so true of us as well. So easy to have divisions that set people apart, all sorts of racist feelings, prejudice, in all sorts of different ways that hold people apart from one another. But let's really get to the heart of this because there are two problems, have I said, and one of them is, is kind of a vertical problem between us, between you and God. And then one is a, a horizontal problem, you could say, between us and people around us. 
Because what happens is, is that the, the issue really, it's, it's, it's not really about being circumcised and not circumcised. Circumcision was a, was a sign the Jewish people were circumcised as a sign of their righteousness, but the issue effectively, it, it's an issue of sin. That's what divides people, really. You, you might think, what? Sin, you know, isn't sin just like a religious word? We can think that, well, sin, sin does, that's just for religious people. I don't need to worry about sin. But we do need to worry about it. We do need to think about it, because it is an issue. Because the thing is, is that Sin, fundamentally, in its DNA, it's selfish. Selfish, it makes you only really concerned with, with you. And sin, what it does, it, it puts up, as this passage was saying, like a dividing wall of hostility, builds walls around you. And the thing is, what we all need to realize is that the issue, the number one problem in all of your lives is you. It is. <laughs> that might not sound very nice, but you know, you meet people who, who I've met people who, who they've, they've had dozens and dozens of different jobs. They go from one job to the next. And, every, and, and they say, but I, you know, it, every job I get, my manager, he's, he's always out to get me. I always get bad managers. You know, there's something, it always goes wrong. Every job I've had, something always goes bad. So they have to keep going from job to job and every time they get another bad boss who doesn't like them. And you think maybe what they need to do is wake up and realize that perhaps the problem isn't their boss every time, the problem is, is them. <laughs> the common denominator in all of those issues is that person. And that's true of all of us. The common denominator in all of my problems is me. I'm the one that's always there in all of my issues. <laughs> and I can blame it on my kids, I could blame it on my wife, I could blame it on all of you. But the, the one person who's central to all those things is me. It's me. And I keep coming back and thinking, but no, surely someone else is to blame. And for some of you, there, there will be things, hurt that you carry, pain in your life where people have sinned against you, when people have hurt you. I don't want to disregard that and just say that's not an issue. That is an issue. But as well, you need to recognize areas of your life where actually you're the issue, you're the problem. If we're always blaming on everybody else, then nothing will ever get fixed. And as I said at the start, we're so easy to get outraged about everything else that's going wrong in the world without saying, do you know what? I can't really do much about what's happening over there or over here. What I can do something about is, is me. We say this to our kids all the time. When they, when they're, they're, what, what children, children love justice. They love things to be right. So our, our, our kids are always telling tales on each other. Oh, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. And they get angry and they get frustrated about it. And what we say to them is, your response is your responsibility. Like just, just sort out you and your heart, and don't let, let us, we're the parents, we'll deal with your sister. Just you worry about yourself. And that's a helpful lesson for us. So as I said, this, what sin is, is fundamentally selfish. Sin, sin is, is kind of antisocial, really. 
In James 4, it says, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. This sin, it divides, it separates, it splinters, it produces division within between people, between one another. Sin can be explosive. If you've ever seen, seen uh, um, uh, you know, someone who's, maybe they've, a husband who's sinned against his wife, who's cheated on his wife and had an, an affair. Well, he can, he can think, well, this is, this, is, this is my sin. You know, this has hurt me, maybe it's hurt my wife, but he can think, well, it's just our problem. But the thing is, what it's like, it's, it's like he's just thrown a hand grenade into his marriage and it blows up. And the shrapnel, the bits, they don't just hit him and his wife, they'll hit their kids, their friends, their families. Because sin is this antisocial thing. It just explodes and it goes out and it splinters and it hurts and it divides. It causes pain. And for a lot of us, for most of us, what happens is it, it will just kind of harden your heart. It will just desensitize you. And you'll stop really being compassionate about people around you, caring about people around you, because your heart has just become hardened, it's just become like rock hard. And you start putting up barriers between you and other people, sometimes just because you don't want people to see what you're really like. You don't want people to really be able to see and see the issues, see your problems. So you put up walls to stop people looking in. And we divide ourselves away from people. But yet, we live in an age, in a world where more than anything, people are searching for authentic relationships. People are are, are searching for some sense of community some sense of people that can love them and care for them. And we're all struggling from the effects of, of unsatisfactory relationships that don't really meet our needs because we've built all these walls to stop us. So maybe at this point, it's good just to ask you a, a question and, and let this kind of just bubble around in your head for a while, but where, where, if, where has your heart got a bit hard? Where have you built up walls between you and other people? Where do you know there's just issues in your life that are, are causing division or pain? Maybe just consider that. But if I was just to stop there, that'd be really gloomy, wouldn't it? I'm not going to stop there, don't worry. Because the wonderful thing is there's a, there's a solution. And we, there, actually, there, there are a couple of different solutions, and there's one solution that we've all tried, every single one of us. We tried to fix things ourselves. Have you tried that? I've tried that. I try that all the time. And it doesn't, sometimes it gets me a little way. Sometimes it helps a bit but ultimately I end up falling a bit short, not quite fulfilling it, not quite making it work. But 
Fortunately, to both these issues, this vertical problem, a kind of separation from God, the fact that we've sinned against God himself, the fact that this we've sinned against the people around us, this horizontal problem, for both of these problems, there's, there's a solution. Because as Paul writes in this passage, this dividing wall of hostility has been removed. It's been removed. Because you, you might feel far off. You know, the, the, the walls around you might feel very high. You might feel far away from God. You might feel so distant from God. You might even not really know what I'm talking about. You might think, who is this God? What does that even mean? You could feel so distant from, from all of this. But in some ways, the thing is, the reality is you're, you're without Christ, you're even further than that. You could take yourself to the farthest point that you can imagine of being away from God, but you're even farther away from that. But because of what Jesus has done, it says in this passage, you've been brought near. You've been brought close. Now, to, to, help us, to help us really understand this, how this dividing wall has been removed, how this kind of, how we've been reconciled to God, what I'm gonna do is, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to find the passage on my phone because it's a different version of my Bible here, it won't help us very much. If you wanna turn, if you've got a Bible, sorry, this won't appear as if by magic on the screen, sorry. The magic wasn't working there. If you want to find uh, Genesis chapter 15, what we're going to do is we're just going to pause and read this, and this is going to help us to understand what I'm talking about. And it won't obviously help you, first of all. You might read this and think, this preacher's gone crazy. What's he talking about? But I'll explain that. Let me read this to us. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's about 20 or so verses. It says this. God's covenant with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. You might know him as Abraham. His name was changed after this. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So this is, a, this is a, a kind of a covenant that God's making with Abraham. Abraham, his wife, Sarah, couldn't have a child. And yet God's saying to him, look at, count the stars, that will be your offspring. He's, say, he's saying, I'm gonna populate the earth through you. And wonderfully, Abraham says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, 
I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. That would be an odd shopping list if you went to Albert Heim, wouldn't it? I'd like a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these and he cut them in half and he laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They'll be afflicted for 400 years, but I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you should go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girishites and the Jebusites. Let me explain what on earth that's all about. See, what's happened here is that uh, God came to Abraham and he said to him, I'm going to make a covenant with you as we looked at. Count the stars. That's going to be your children, your offspring. And then this weird kind of ritual takes place where God tells Abraham to get these five different animals, the ram, the goat, the turtle doves, and to cut them in half and kind of lay these, the halves of the animals to kind of lay them in a row. And you might think, what is that about? Well, that would have been uh, kind of an all, that would have been like a commonplace agreement that, that two people would make. If they were going to make a deal, you know, like these days, you know, if you, what you might do is just go and shake someone's hand. Maybe that'd be, be a bit easier than cutting animals in half. If you make an agreement with someone, you want to seal a contract, you shake their hand. Yes, we agree to this. And what they're doing is that they, they would have laid out the animals and then the two parties would have walked between them. And in doing that, they're, they're making a, a covenant to each other, saying we're going to keep this agreement. We're going to walk between these dead animals to keep this agreement. And they're basically saying, if I go back on my word that I've made, if I go back on this agreement, then I'll be like one of these dead animals. <laughs> so it's a really serious agreement that they're making. It's a really serious promise they make. If we don't stick to this, you can slice me in half like these sliced in half animals. And what should happen, what should happen is in this story is, is that Abraham and God should walk through together. And God should say, as he already has, I will bless you, the stars in the sky. That's gonna be your inheritance, your offspring are gonna populate the earth. 
That was his promise. And Abraham should have said in response, by walking through these dead animals, he should have said, yes, I will be faithful. I will not sin. I'll honor you with my life. That should have been the covenant that was made. But what happens in this passage is something quite remarkable. It says in verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. God put Abraham to sleep. And then in verse 17, it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What the passage is saying is that whereas Abraham and God should have walked down together, making this agreement together, is that God said, God put Abraham to sleep and God walked down there alone. Do you get that? God walked alone down the aisle between these dead animals. Only God was there. Abraham wasn't there. <laughs> the reason that's so important is because you know, surely you think, you know, in a broken marriage, for instance, the way to be reconciled is for both parties to say, we're going to fix this. We'll agree together that we're going to work it out. In any broken friendship, surely you need both people to say, we're going to fix it. But in our broken relationship with God, God says, I'm going to fix it. And you do nothing. Nothing. <laughs> We, we didn't walk down that, that aisle. What it's saying is that we didn't, we didn't go to the cross. We didn't have to die. We didn't have to pay any sacrifice. God's commitment to us is utterly one-sided. It's a gift. It's a gift. Because it says in this passage, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by God walking through, making that covenant, by Jesus dying on the cross, making this new covenant with us. And that means now that we, we get to have, as this passage says at the end, we get to have access to the Father. We get to have access to the holiest place in the temple. We get to be with God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for us. Everything that Jesus has done for you. And yet, the wonderful thing is, is it's so much, it, it, it's not just, well it is, most importantly, God's fixed our vertical problem. But the horizontal problem as well, God's fixing that too. It says in Ephesians 1 that God came to reunite all things. God's come to, he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could know God. But he wants to fix all our broken relationships as well. He wants to help you put your life back together again. He wants to help, to, he, well, he is helping you in that. See, because Jesus is, in one hand, Jesus is this wrecking ball that's come and smashed the dividing wall, just obliterated it, 
so that you can come and know God. But he's also the architect that comes to rebuild, that comes to restore, that comes to bring new life, to rebuild broken relationships. Because he's come to, to, to create this new humanity, this new people. And in this passage it's saying that we don't have to worry about different courts in the temple anymore. God's brought us all together. And because the, the church, the people of God, we're this new community that God's formed now. And, and the church, it's not supposed to be like, it's not supposed to be like a cruise liner. You know, you, know, you go on a big cruise liner, they sometimes pull up uh, uh, by the music chabal, the center of Amsterdam, by the, um, by the kind of the station, massive big cruise liners. If you go on a cruise, you know, go and sail around the Caribbean, you have your own room, and you go and have your own meal, and you listen to the music, uh, but there's thousands of people around, and you're only there to, to interact with yourself. You're all there together on the same boat, but you don't really know each other. You might have a few conversations with people, but that's it. The church isn't like that. The church is, is more like a sailing boat. You know, you go on a sailing boat and there's, I don't know much about sailing, but you know, there's a jib and there's, there's, there's fore and aft and there's things like that. But you work as a team together. You know, a sailing boat doesn't, a sailing boat isn't just about the captain steering the ship. All of you have to get involved with the rigging and the sails and all that stuff. The whole team gets there and you work together and you do life together. That's what the church is supposed to be like. It's not just, you don't just come here and sit on a seat and then come back next week. We come and we commit to one another. We say we're gonna love each other. We're gonna serve each other. God's called us into this new humanity, this new community, this new people, this new army that God's created. And we're to work out life together. There's lots more I could say, but I think I'm actually gonna stop there. Um, why don't we just why don't you just stand to your feet if you're happy to do that don't worry if you don't want to it's totally fine let me just pray and um, as I pray why don't you just in your heart we, we did start off a bit gloomy in that message and there may be things in your life that you think that that issue is as it's dividing, it's dividing me almost against myself, but it's dividing me from other people. It's separated me from God. I'm sure you can all think of things. And I want you just to uh, receive God's grace this morning. And just to know that God's taken all of those issues. He's paid the price for those things. You know, Abraham could, could know God, not because he was a special man, not because there was something amazing about him. He really wasn't. He made some, if you read about his life, he made some terrible mistakes. He did some foolish things. But he was welcomed into this relationship with God. God made this covenant with him all because of who God is. Now, God wants to welcome you into relationship with him 
completely on the basis of what he has done for you. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much that all the things that have been bubbling up in our hearts, all the mess in our life that we're aware of, all the problems, all the issues, all the broken relationships, the pain, the shame. Thank you, Jesus, that you've dealt with all of that. You wanna set us free that your grace is poured out for each and every one of us. It's not exclusive. It's not just for the special people. It's not just for the people who, who, who stand on a stage. It's not for people who've achieved certain things. As Joe said earlier, it's Jesus plus nothing. We don't bring anything to the table. And for each of us, we can come and know your grace, your forgiveness, the wonder of your mercy, of everything you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, that most importantly now, we've got access to our Father in heaven who cares for us deeply, who loves us, and we can now be sons and daughters in your kingdom. We can talk to you as we would talk to a father. We can have this intimate, close relationship with the living God. And we can know that you're working to restore all the brokenness around us. And we wanna receive you this morning. Know your grace at work in our hearts. We're gonna take communion now. Communion is a, is a meal that Jesus took with his disciples the night before he died. He gathered them together, they had a meal together and he broke this loaf of bread, and they drank wine together. And Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. And he said to them, keep doing this to remember what I did for you. So we do that every week here, to keep on remembering what Jesus has done for us, to know his grace again in our lives. And what the way we try and do it here is, we do it not just on our own, but we try and do it together. It's a community event, it's a family event. Jesus did it as a meal together. They were sitting around a table. We don't have a table big enough for all of us, but we can get to share it with one another. Because in a world where there's so much individualism, where people have built up so many walls around themselves, this is an opportunity for us to actually break down some of those walls, to show love and kindness towards one another. So. What we try and do is, is grab a, some cups at the back and there's a bit of bread, get into threes and fours and just pray together. Maybe you wanna pray for one another. Even if there's any issues that have come up in your heart as I've been speaking, just share them with a friend. And you might think, I can't tell anybody that. Yes, you can. <laughs> they won't judge you. They might even put an arm around you, might even shed a tear with you. That's fine, that's brilliant. Let them pray for you and minister God's grace to you.